you're finding community inside of a company, which also just strengthens who we are together as a people. And that is why great companies can keep performing and retaining the talent is because you can find community inside our company. And that's really special to me. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Cassandra Rose. Welcome everyone to the Brag Worthy Culture Podcast. My name is Cassandra Rose and I'll be your host for today. And I am joined by the awesome Vishal. Vishal, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited. I just heard, because you just told me, <laughs> that you have two kids under four. How has that been impacting you as the co-founder and CEO of your organization and balancing that as a working parent? Well, yeah, two beautiful little girls, super blessed. I think as as a leader of a company, you always try to have uh, better prioritization and time management. And I think having two little ones really makes you understand it at a much deeper level. So just how prioritized your life has to be. But when I'm with the girls, like just try to detach from work as much as I can, give them a great experience as dad. And then I can be a great husband to my wife as well. And then also be a great CEO to people, the company that needs me. So again, just more focus on prioritization and Google Calendar, tons of Google Calendar <laughs> optimization. I totally hear that. So let's take a few steps back. Tell us the story of how you decided to find Link Squares, what got you onto the entrepreneurial journey and how you've grown the organization over these last seven or so years. Yeah, sure. Didn't really think I would become a software entrepreneur. I don't know. I, I didn't kind of like set out like that on into the world's mission to do it. But the opportunity found us. I was working at a tech company with my co-founder and that company got bought by a much bigger company. And the bigger company asked us what was in our contracts, what we had agreed to, more specific stuff. And that was like a real light bulb moment because in the role that I had at, at the startup in Boston, I was the odd projects guy the CEO, that was my title, like operations, odd projects, data, having engineering background. I really love that sort of work, right? Puzzles and business systems and integrations and data. And so this was one of the odd projects that I had gotten during the point where I'm sure like the LOI was signed for the purchase before it closed, started interacting with the bigger company that was buying us. And we understood quickly that our contract situation, like what we had signed contracts had already lied. It's a total mess. They were everywhere. There wasn't one single spot for them. They were all different with through negotiating and redlining customer agreements, as well as working with big brands like Logitech and Whirlpool. And they'll never sign a little baby startups in terms of service to be a customer. They always force you into third-party paper. And so the contracts were like 
you know, maybe half of them were different and disorganized and we didn't know what we had agreed to. And there were really questions around what we had agreed to in volume. Like, tell me every contract that says we can move your data off AWS and put it somewhere else, move your customer's data and put it somewhere else. Well, to know that is to know what every single customer we had negotiated with and closed, like what they actually agreed to, right? And so super hard problem, tight timeline, uh, no budget, like there wasn't really any simple solutions, but the light bulb moment was that we were a Series B venture-backed company, and how is this the way that we are operating? We don't know the answer, and I wonder if there's other people that don't know the answer. And so enough of our mentorship network, friends, whatever, they nudged us towards general counsels. Like we didn't have one at the company that I worked at. So I had no context for them. And enough people were like, the general counsel at bigger companies, they're the ones responsible for contracts and knowing what's inside them. And I was like, well, this is great. So I asked my co-founder, do you know any general counsel? And he goes, I knew zero. And I said, I knew zero as well. <laughs> so we did the only sensible thing, which was to buy 25,000 emails and names and titles that someone in, I think, India or Pakistan or somewhere mined the most LinkedIn for us. And we did the only sensible thing that entrepreneurs do. We just started cold emailing them. And that's really how the company got started and a lot of evolution there. So what I love most about that story is that you saw white space. You saw a gap of something like, hey, technically, we're a super organized company, so much so that we were purchased, right? We lived the dream. But there seems to be this space that no one is playing in. You didn't have a legal background. Like you said, you're just like, fly by night. Let's just see what happens. And you were able to create a very successful company for something that's so needed. Were there any hesitations around like, hey, shouldn't we like maybe bring a lawyer on with us as a co-founder or maybe make that our first hire so that way we have more legitimacy in the marketplace? Like, how did that inspire you to just keep going? Yeah, use of lawyers definitely was early in our journey, especially as we took a journey through artificial intelligence where basically we needed to train a computer to think like a human does when they read a contract of a highly trained human, like a juris doctorate, right? So when we got started, the thing that I think we were most hesitant about is wasting a lot of time and wasting a lot of money that we didn't have, solving the wrong problem, the wrong business problem, right? And so the first thing we really prioritized was, I myself, I don't know who the general counsel is. I don't know what their hopes and dreams are. I don't know how they work inside companies. I don't know where they are in the path line of the executive team. I don't really know anything about it, right? I don't know how they evaluate technology. I don't know how they buy. And so the thing that we first sat out to do was take a business problem. Do you know what's inside contracts you've already signed? And put the customer right next to that. And basically ask them, interview them, right? That's why the cold email strategy essentially helped us generate 50, 75 conversations with general counsels. We literally had nothing. We didn't have any software sell them at that moment, it was more like the customer discovery, right? So I think having seen the downsides of poor customer discovery is basically like you can't get that magnetized product market fit, where it's like you're solving this amazing problem that buyers actually know that you're solving the right problem, then you're going and trying to scale a company correctly without having cracks in the foundation. So that was really the first thing that we sought out to do was just make friends with general counsels. Like, and a lot of them told us to go away politely or unpolitely. Um, <laughs> many of them took calls with us, but kind of 25, 50 conversations in, we're hearing the same things all over and over and over again. And then that gave us the inspiration and the confidence to go build the software 
that we also didn't waste development money, like building something that actually was going to get trashed immediately. So that was how we got started, really. And that's the origination of, I guess, lots of companies that have discovered and solved customer problems, which is ultimately why we come to work every day and make the best software for legal teams that we possibly can, right? And make their life easier. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think a question that a lot of our audience members may have is, okay, you have this great idea. You did the hard part of like seeing if you were actually solving a problem that needed to be solved in the marketplace. Done. Check. Now you go from two to three to 10 plus employees. How did you think through, how do I build a culture? How do I get other people to believe in this vision of something that I can see so clearly, but maybe other people can't see? How did you even begin to scale? Yeah, so there was a great program in Boston that no longer exists, but it's called Startup Institute. And I did the same program under a different name, Boston Startup School which really identified individuals who had that hustle and that grit to go and do something that is really hard, which is get companies off the ground. So I'd say the first, maybe four out of the first six hires we had were all graduates of this program, and including our first employee, Lyle, who went from BDR to VP of sales in five years. And has just scaled with the company amazingly. That's where we had contacted him or found him and and started the culture around like, okay, it's not just two of us. Now there's three of us. There's this extra employee now. How we do it in the early days is way different than how we do it today, uh, given the scale. But we have a founder story, right? We have a founder superpower, like every founder has it. Ours just happened to be that we were just going to try to sell this thing as hard as we possibly can and let the evidence that people can find in our company as a potential employer around an amazing revenue curve that looks like it's going up and to the right. We're just, we're putting name brand logos in our customer base. We are finding them. We are closing them. And at the end of the first year of selling, we had five customers. At the end of the second year of selling, we had about 30 And we picked up a whole bunch of people in that second year. And it was really great of being able to say, like, we have five times the amount of customers that we have employees. Like, will you come help us? Like, that was it. Like, I don't know. It was also how we raised capital back in the day. I'm a first timer. I'm really a nobody. I didn't go to any of the fancy Ivy League. I'm not like a, I don't know, Silver Spoon Country Club kid with Ivy Leagues. Like, I'm not any of those things. We're just nobodies, right? And people may not have enjoyed our story or how we're doing it, but it's undeniable we're going to build a great business. And and that's still the core of how we think is like, we're going to be a great company unit economics. We're going to be a great company revenue growth, right? Where that's what's going to open the door for us. They're going to fall in love with everything else they're going to discover about our story and how we go to market and who we are as people and why that magnetizes other people to come join us. And But in the early days, it was like, I think it's working. It's definitely working. I mean, (laughs) I have like zero software selling experience historically before I started doing this. And two co-founders were able to put together almost like got five, 600K ARR, a million ARR and just find people that could get with the mission that like, we're out here doing this thing and it's working. So come help us. Yeah. So Michelle, as you were thinking through how you attract people, to your organization, you intentionally set up values, four values, and as a matter of fact, team first, customer driven, do what you say, and all in. 
the one that stood out to me is do what you say. Can you describe that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, just operating with high accountability. And that was like a personal thing for me and my co-founder, Chris, which is like every single day as employees and coworkers and peers, we are signing up to help someone, signing up for a deadline, signing up to deliver something. Just You're signing up on an obligation to go and do your job, but actually do something tactical, right? And so operating with high accountability is so important. So there's a massive amount of work we have to do every single day now, like the scale of this company. And operating with high accountability is super important to me. And operating with high accountability is how we got to the spot we are today, right? Which is fast growth and tons of employees and 700 customers, more than 700 customers. It's like, it's being accountable to continue to move the business forward. So interesting you say accountability, because that's super important in everything you do. That's how you build customer trust. That's how you build employee trust. And a lot of us are calling it post-pandemic, but we also have other things going on. Quiet quitting, the great resignation. How have you been able to help your people to stay supported, to feel that that accountability is actually a way to not just challenge them, but support them in their personal career growth? Yeah, many things and cover some of the highlights. It first starts with even the simple exercise of writing a job description that is truthful as to like what job it is. And you look at job descriptions that are poorly written and people take a job and don't really understand like what it is. So like making sure that that is the first interaction they have with us is do you understand what's asked of you? Do you understand what the level has to be? Do you meet that? And then nail a great interview process, right? A diverse interview process, right? Including diverse viewpoints, gender, democracy as well in the interviewing process and, and making sure that people have a good kind of holistic view of the candidate, but then they also have a good holistic view of us as people, who we are. And so then when you start giving you a great onboarding is really important, right? First, educationally, what is the business? How does it run? All of my direct reports and me included, we all teach a session, an hour-long session on our areas of expertise, like BMO talks about marketing, revenue leader talks about revenue, right? And on and on. I talk about unit economics, SaaS metrics, right? Which is the thing that I look at every day. And so making sure that they are equipped both to do the job, but also to understand how they fit into the bigger organizations, like so important. And then from there, direct hands-on open communication with their manager, right? Both informally through check-ins and then two times a year formally to just talk about where we are, where you want it to be, where we can help you, where you need improvement or vice versa. And then just keep channels of communication open. Like we do things like ENPF bi biannually and pulse checks pretty regularly. And after like a, an all hands meeting or like a town square meeting, town hall meeting, where do you like the format? Is the format working for you? Is the audio clear? If you're on Zoom, like just constantly creating an environment in which employees have a forum to voice both positive feedback, but also constructive feedback that helps make the company better. The other thing is just like the overall performance of the company, right? Like we are ambitious people, right? And so the goals are hard. It's hard on the revenue side, marketing, product, customer success, support, engineering, whatever it is. And then giving tons of praise out into the company and identifying people who are, are truly embodying the things that make us who we are, make us special, right? Our core values, as well as just the overall performance of doing really hard things that have never been done before, as I like to say. We started an anonymous program called Link Stars, 
where it's a little Slack application. You click a button, it pops a form up. You can anonymously give feedback to any employee, shout them out, give them a description as to what impact they're making. All the people that get anonymously tapped by their peers, they then enter into like a raffle that embodies like our company values, right? And so the Linkstars program is recognition of people who are living the values that we have. And reading those every single day, two or three or four of them that show up, it just warm your heart about even what people think about each other. And some of this was just like real organic. Like even like our values just were created organically. We didn't found the company on day one and say, these are our core values. And, and it was like the core, when we actually got to like a certain size, maybe like 50, 75, get into like a hundred employees. And we wanted to like really codify what they are. This was more of a reflection of who we were rather than something we were trying to aspire to become. And I think it's so interesting to watch and see cultures that are created organically. It's organically. We're not telling anyone to do any of these things. People just started shouting out other people and giving them praise directly in public forums on our Slack. And then it was like, well, why don't we just, why don't we programmatize this, right? Why don't we make it even easier for people to do the things that they're doing already? And I think that's been so special for me to see how it's grown and picked up. And I also want to give you kudos because it's a special culture that the employees are leading a lot of the things that they want to see and that they feel empowered to be able to do so and that you're able to codify that back into the culture and make it stronger. It's a virtuous cycle of growing. So how do you expand that in a distributed workforce? Because I know you're located out of Boston, but you also hire nationwide. So what are some of the challenges and triumphs you've had in being able to bring people who are remote first into that culture? Yeah, the absolute foundation and basics are every meeting is a Zoom meeting, big meetings are recorded. Big meetings are recorded, and if you couldn't make it on that particular day, like our town hall meetings or, or bigger events that we throw, give people the opportunity to come to HQ anytime they want. Just make that free form anytime you want. You can come to HQ in Boston and We'll take care of the travel arrangements and just make it part of how you work, right? And come as often or as little as you want. And then at a minimum, we kind of do two big events a year, try to get the entire company together for, which is kickoff in January, just kick off the year, talk about, you know, what, what we're doing and what's the focus, what are the goals? And then we throw like a great party in the summertime. And so those two opportunities for people to co-mingle get together and then encourage people who are remote to come for, I know like our engineering team is a lot of them are remote. So and the leadership and engineering does like order planning and try to get everyone to come and especially down to like the middle management area or the lower middle management areas, just like come and hear what the next quarter's goals are or the quarter after that. So trying to create that. And then for the folks that come to the office and we've had incredibly high ROI of having an office, and having people in the office, like God, three days a week, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's like we're actually quite full, right? And there's a lot, so much energy that gets created in the office, right? That we're always trying to figure out how to bottle more of it and just seeing people interact with each other and have those spontaneous conversations. And also the remote folks having their chance for them to meet people they've only met on Zoom, right? Which is so valuable, I think. Coming out of the pandemic, I think, Remote work can still be very efficient, very effective. We've seen the benefits of that for sure. But I don't think that ever means not ever in real life, right? Like I think there could and there should, and we do still create those opportunities for employees to mix. And, and 
there's so much that can be had over a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, a beer, whatever, right? Whatever your choice of how you enjoy time together. There's still a lot to gain from doing those and we keep doing it. So that sounds good. When you think about the benefits of having people in person, having those two tentpole events throughout the year, you also have things that support employees mentally, physically, financially. What are some of the benefits that you offer that was very intentional and that you find a lot of ROI in? Yeah, great medical package, right? Great health insurance package that can take care of both people who are single or people that have two, three kids, right? And make attractive package for both the categories that we have. Pay as much of the premium as we possibly can afford and continue to pay more of the premium even if health insurance costs are continue to increase, right? Take care of employees, make it easy for them to get access to great services. And then just awareness, like awareness of mental health awareness. Like there's outlets that we have through health providers that can provide you with additional services in mental health and awareness around, you know, things like diet culture and other things that people struggle with. We're bringing in external speakers too, like to do engagements with with anyone that wants to come. Same with things like financial literacy. Like you'd be surprised how many people get stock options, don't know what they are, don't know how they work, don't know what it's all about or what it's not all about. And this is yours, like this, like, why not come get some financial literacy about this, that, the other thing. And things that we're really proud of is like giving people 14 weeks off uh, if they have a child in whatever arrangement it is, be it you're the birth mother or adoptive parent or in same-sex marriage and you're adopting or whatever, right? It's like, I know this because I was a big champion of it because I've had two kids while on the journey. And it's been amazing to have two children, run the company, do all that stuff. But I also know like you can't get any of those weeks back. Like you can't get any of those months back. And why shouldn't we support employees and make it easy for them to decide to pick their kids over, come back to work, right? And whether that 14 weeks is like six weeks initially, then take some time, come back to work a little bit, then go two months later as your partner's parental leave is winding off and you're coming back on, like, we can work it out anyway, right? And so I feel really proud about the 14 weeks that we're offering, which I think is real kind of industry leading and taking a very refreshing look on even people in commission roles. Like, how can we support you with whatever your historical commissions were? Can we give you some of that back even though you're out and you actually can't bill, right? You're not like getting order forms signed. How can we take care of you so that having a child and a wonderful thing, having a child bring into the world and raising children, young children, it's not looked at as like a detriment where it's actually holding you back financially and also from career opportunities. And so that was something that I think has worked really well. And it's been wonderful to see just how many little link babies have come out recently, me included. So. <laughs> link babies. I love that. So Baby squares, baby squares. Baby, I don't know. Baby squares. All right. That's it. We are going to uh, trademark that on this podcast. <laughs> So just hearing your story of the way that you think about your values, the way that you support a distributed team, the way that you even think about your benefits. And I agree with you. It's industry leading, especially when it comes to sales compensation, to think through like, how can we continuously support people without penalizing them? What other ways have you been able to show inclusion and belonging in the workplace outside of those things that you're already doing so well? Yeah, DEI is like a hot buzzword. Everyone's talking about it. 
And we're talking about it also. I think the thing that I have always prioritized is like talking about it isn't enough. What, what can we do that's more, right? Like what can we constantly do to, for our employees to make sure that they feel welcome, that they're getting paid fairly, right? And we're doing like compensation studies like every six months, right? Using industry-leading information as well as our own market trends of just you know, where we thought a salary would be and then where it actually showed up with, with the people that actually got hired through whatever negotiating or market pricing and then doing the right thing on employees that were hired previously that are at the same role or the same title and someone else is getting paid more, right? And so what can we do to increase their salary so that it is fair? And every six months, try to make it as fair as we can. And that's like a hard commitment to doing the right thing always, right? In terms of like fair and equitable pay. And I'm a huge supporter of that. Like no one should come to work here and feel like they're underpaid. And things are changing. Obviously, the technical worlds are quite crazy out there and hiring technical talent. But let's try to do the right thing as much as we can. DEI is like such an interesting topic. I think about it like DEI is like a mirror. Like when you have like a DEI program, you're doing things thinking about diversity, right? DEI is a mirror. So when a prospective employee looks into link squares, do they see a reflection of themselves? Do they see that reflection in with genders, different genders, right? Do you see it with different ethnicities? Do you see it with different walks of life, right? Do you see it with different sexual orientation or whatever? And the more diverse workforce we have, which now I think we have an amazingly incredible diverse workforce, it helps almost do the selling for us on why people want to come and join us. Mm -hmm. And it's like a hard commitment. It's not anything you can like turn on overnight, right? And say like, whatever 50% of the company is women or so much are in from underrepresented groups, or we have this population of LGBTQ plus, like, it's not anything you can do. It's something that just happens. But when you know you're doing it right, is you're continuing to get more and more diverse people coming into the company because they're actually seeing a reflection of themselves and how the company is acting. The other thing is like there's a little subcommittee inside Link Squares on Slack, a little sub-channel on like any number of topics, musicians, people who love to run, people who are cat people, dog people, like families posting pictures of their kids and so much of that, again, is organic. Like, I didn't say, oh, we shall have a musician's Slack channel or a Patriots football, uh, I don't know, complaining channel, which I'm part of. <laughs> I like to complain about it. And none of it happened because I said it needed to happen. It's just happening because like-minded people are seeing themselves and others, too, mm-hmm. and saying, like, I mean, now we have, like, a whole bunch of employees in Texas. They have, like, a tech channel. Like, I don't know. I'm not in there, but I don't know what they talk about. I'm like, like, you're finding community inside of a company, which also just strengthens who we are together as a people. And that is why great companies can keep performing and retaining the talent is because you can find community inside our company. And that's really special to me. Finding community, that's powerful. I know that's something that I seek out, even from a first interview with an organization. Not only can I belong here, but is there a place that I would feel like these are my people and I can do my best work alongside them? So as we wind down, I have a question for you that's both past and future looking. So in the seven years that you've been in operation, what's one lesson? I know you have many. (laughs) We all have some scarring. But what's one lesson that you wish you could have whispered when you started on day one? And then future looking, what would you want to say to any organization that 
wants to replicate either your culture or your success, what are some of the things that you're vision casting and would hope that other employers who really truly care about their people are doing the same of? Yeah, so what I would uh, whisper to myself it probably back in the day was raising capital is a lot harder than reading uh, TechCrunch articles. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, just tell me a little you, bit more. And just because you read it in TechCrunch doesn't mean that it's that easy to do. And I think anyone that's ever raised capital from venture capitalists has to have to learn a lot. And you almost don't know how much you don't know until you actually start doing it. And mm-hmm. I guess, tell my previous self to read up on it more, ask more questions to people that had done it. But we got it done. We got a whole bunch of uh, capital raised that way. But it's definitely shocking when you start peeling it back, how hard it is and how much effort it takes. That's one thing for sure. For the future, like there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen in the economic forecasts, the macro environment, as they call it, the public markets, like your own future, your own runway. Create optionality, right? But not at the expense of your employees. If you're cash burning, like you're not profitable, then the elongation of runway is obviously really important, right? Like your cash out date has to be further away than you thought it was going to be. If you thought you could raise capital next year, you probably can't, or it's going to be really hard or not attractive for you on pricing or whatever. And so continue to think about things you can do today to control what you can control. You can only control so much. Don't get wrapped up into things you can't control. Focus on the things you can focus on your unit economics and your employees. Like your business is what a spreadsheet says your business is. That's the initial understanding of what a business is. It's a bunch of spreadsheets, right? That's tell the story that way. Make those look the best they possibly can. Fix things that are broken. This is a great time to fix things that are not working. Look inside before you blame everything else on the outside. Like what can you do today, every day to make the company you're working at better, right? More efficient, look better on paper. Focus on unique economics, what's not working. And then continue to stay positive, even though it's hard. I think one thing as one of the perks we have is like we work with a mindful mindset coach and mindset coaching is so interesting. I hadn't had a lot of exposure to it. Some of my team, my more direct team had had some exposure to it because they're like athletes, right? They're college athletes or whatever. And you can create a strong magnetic north to where like you want to go in your life. You can train your brain your subconscious, you can train it to get the things you want done and make every day a little bit easier because you're feeling like you're making progress towards something. Like have some ambition that's bigger than what you can do, right? Keep pushing towards it. Then you feel like you're getting closer to that. What is it? Like, I don't know. I want a listing picture on the NASDAQ. Like I want that listing picture of all of us there and the confetti flying and saying when scores went public. That's my ambition compass, right? And every day I feel like I'm getting closer to that, not further away, despite whatever is going on. And that's just like, not even just keeping a positive mindset, it's keeping a mindset focused on like what we're actually trying to go do and what we're trying to become in the future. And then the lows don't feel that low because you feel like you're getting closer anyways. That's my look at it. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you were saying about all in. You're all in. Real important. Operate with high conviction in your life, right? And get the things you want. It's possible. Everything's possible. I love that. Well, Michelle, it's been great chatting with you. If people are interested, one, in obtaining your services, which let's be honest, you are giving them a GC in an algorithm form, (laughs) which lowers your cost. This was not, he's not paying me for this. I'm just like, that's an amazing benefit to provide to an organization. How can they learn more about your organization, obtain your services, or even learn from you? How can they get in contact? 
Yeah, sure. LinkSquares.com is probably the easiest place or follow us on LinkedIn. You can get in touch with me on uh, LinkedIn as well. Vishal Sinek, I'm easy to find. I think there's only one in the planet, maybe two. No, maybe just one. I think I, I should be easy <laughs> to find. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. This was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.